Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. On this week's episode of White Wine Question Time. Everything changed later in 2011 with the viral clip of Bradley Walsh corpsing over a German skier called Fanny Schmeller. And that whoever wrote that question changed our lives. That day, Don Ward, who owns the comedy store, he rang my house, but I was on call, a new general. And he spoke to my housemate, Dave, and said, how can I get hold of Paul Sinha? Dave said you have to ring Newham General and ask them to bleep Dr Sinha. And he did. He rang up Newham General Hospital and asked them to bleep me. <laughs> I don't need to gamble to get my highs. I get my highs from engaging with the world either online or in, in reality. And that boredom that led me to the betting shops in the first place just doesn't exist. There's no excuse to be bored. Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week describes himself as, quote, the only openly gay British-Asian qualified doctor and television quizzer on the UK comedy circuit. He's also one of the six chasers on ITV's The Chase and can currently be seen with his husband Oliver on Celebrity Gogglebox. Born in Luton to parents who'd emigrated to the UK from Calcutta in 1968, two years before he was born, his dad was a doctor and his mother a nurse. He was educated at Dulwich College before going on to study medicine, as was the family way, at St George's Hospital Medical School, where comedy medic Harry Hill had studied before him. But it was here his path in life changed course, thanks in no small part 
the student bar. He started performing stand-up there whilst he was working as a junior doctor, debuting at the Edinburgh Festival in 2004, where he's returning this summer, some 19 years later, with his new show, Paulie Bengali, a nod to his 2019 Parkinson's diagnosis. As well as his work as a stand-up, he's also a British quiz champion and, of course, has been on the chase for 12 years now. Let me tell you, he's ridiculously good in the hot seat, I should know. I've been up against him and I've got the bruised ego to prove it. I'm really looking forward to talking to him rather than being thrashed by him. So let's dial him in, shall we? It's Paul Sinner. How are you, sir? Oh, very well. The weather's picked up a little bit from yesterday and uh, I'm in a lovely hotel in Ascot chatting to you and I'm very well indeed. You're in Ascot? Yeah, I've got a uh, afternoon speaking job this evening in Ascot, so uh, we decided to uh, stay in a hotel here for a couple of days. Oh, nice. Bit of a mini break with Oliver, who, by the way, exactly. has been a genius setting up the tech for this call, so thank you, you to Oliver. He, he, Oliver is a technical genius. He's a good man, isn't he? He's a very, very good man indeed. I'm not sure how I'd cope without him. I got married just in time. Just in time. <laughs> what did you describe him as to me previously? A, a pound shop David Furnish, <laughs> uh, which is perhaps, which is perhaps uh, unfair given the, how absolutely dependent I am on his skills. Exactly. And plus the cost of living as well, Paul. Let's not forget that. Well, well, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so um, you're off to Edinburgh again with. Your husband, who goes to as many shows as he can, because he's also a, a voracious um, showgoer and quizzer, isn't he? He is. He always says, I'm not a quizzer in the same sense. And that's really like a knife in my back because the number of times he actually beats me at quiz, including the most recent world championships and a couple of British championships. He has some. He has taken my scalp on a few occasions. So when he tells people he's not a quizzer in the same sense, and I know that he's kind of telling the truth and that he doesn't take it quite as seriously as I do. It is like a knife in the back that he beats me as many times as he does. <laughs> I can't... How, how do you resolve um, the fallout from one of you winning? Because... There's, there's never any fallout. There's not? No, there's never... We're very supportive of each other. Uh, I, I, if, in many ways, I'm more supportive and I'm more excited when he does really well than he is when I do really well. Really? Uh, but, but, but because he, he, he does it for fun, so other people's results don't really bother him. He's, he's, he's quite above all of that competitiveness and is a pure quizzer who does it for the love of facts, whereas I'm still trying to do it to win stuff and, <laughs> and, and score points. And it's really, really annoying when he beats me because I know that he doesn't take it as seriously as I do. Yeah, his heart's not quite as in it to the same degree. No. Uh, how's it been appearing together on Gogglebox? It's um, been... Every day is a learning day, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you are in your career. Every day is a learning day. It's so different from what we're used to. Um, but we've been told to be ourselves and that's very much what we're being. There's, there's no... Um, what's the word? I'm not, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. But there's no... Um, acting up or playing up to the cameras. We are an unusual couple. We are a, a quiet, nerdy, fat-guzzling couple for whom a lot of television that we watch is not really to our tastes. <laughs> um, and certainly a few weeks we've done it, we've watched a lot of very bad television. And Below Deck and the new Colombian telenovela um, Fake Profile are two of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> And of course, you're kind of force-fed this, aren't you? Because you've got to watch it so that they can capture your responses. Yes. Uh, and um, 
it can be very interesting because sometimes we're just looking at it going, I have no engagement with this whatsoever. This is not my this is not my telly. And of course, the nature of the show is there's a lot of reality TV mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a lot of um, game shows. Um, and so there's. I thought you'd like the game shows. Yeah, I do like I, no, the game shows are fine uh, because they've got a play along factor. Yeah. But there's some of the, some of the reality TV has got no play along factor whatsoever. You're just sitting there going, I don't care about these people or what they do with their lives. I just can't bring myself to care. You're not reaching to vote to save any of them from eviction? No, absolutely. Or, no. Uh, they can all be evicted as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I liked Is It, is it Cake is on uh, this week, and uh, I like that. Although you don't get close enough to the cakes to know exactly which one is a cake and which one isn't. When I see shows like that, I do think, how did that pitch meeting go? <laughs> how does any pitch meeting go, let's be honest? It's, it's a random process these days as to what's a success and what isn't. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is down to just catching a vibe or, ca- you know, catching a wave. I mean, you as the cinnamon, one of your many uh, stage personas for The Chase, <laughs> I mean, you've had an incredible run on that show, 12 years. Yeah, I, well, I joined in, yeah, 12 years ago, t- 2011, and I was just delighted to be quizzing on telly. Um, I had no greater ambition than to show off on telly. I didn't think I was going to become famous on the back of it, far from it. We were getting figures of about 1.5, 1.8 million a day, and we weren't really a talked-about show. And everything changed later in 2011 with the viral clip of Bradley Walsh corpsing over a, a German skier called Fanny Schmeller. And that whoever wrote that question changed our lives. It, it literally changed our lives. Because that was the mechanism by which everybody started talking about the chase. Are you serious? That, that was the moment. Fanny Absolutely. Sh- what was her name? Fanny Schmeller. She's now retired. <laughs> what was Fanny Schmeller's job, sorry? She was a skier. Um... And she's now retired, but Brad Corpsing over much as you are Corpsing over the name at the moment. Perhaps you'll go for the viral, the viral market. Do you know what? I just, I just didn't see that coming. I'm sorry, it slightly <laughs> knocked me off kilter. But brilliant. So, Fanny Schmeller really is what tipped the the, the chase into becoming part of our kind of TV fabric because that's what it is now. It's daytime. It's prime time. It's just the chase. It's you know, everyone knows what the well, chase is. Even if they don't watch it, they know it. I mean, the chase has got a lot of things going for it. The persona of the chase is the questions, the gameplay, which can be very thrilling at the end. But the thing that everyone knows the chase for is Bradley's rapport with the general public and Bradley being the ringmaster who can hold any chaos together. And that was never proven more accurate in the Fanny, as in the Fanny Schmeller moment. It just taught everyone that Bradley is a figure to be loved and, and applauded and celebrated. And that's what really got the show onto the, onto the radar of the general public. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's hands down one of the best in the business. Indeed. When, when you come onto the show, obviously, like, we don't get to know, as you, as you stand there with Brad, you don't know who, who's coming out. Well, I never did. We did really well. We had £86,000 until Anne absolutely spanked us. Well, you didn't have £86,000 there, did you? No, you're quite right. You had a dream of 86000 It was on the board. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, what a horrible thing to do at Christmas as well. That's Anne. what I said. Very, very much the Ebenezer Scrooge of our, Scrooge of our days. And, and remarkably, when I said to her afterwards, do, do you feel bad? Because, you know, that's a lot of money for charity. She just said no. <laughs> well, we can't feel bad. We do sort of feel bad, but we can't because it's our job. And we I sign know. up through the job. And if that means ruining everyone's Christmas, so be it. <laughs> rather, rather than that than lose. 
Well, um, I hope that I've compiled for you today put three thought-provoking questions. Shall we dive in and start with question number one? Why not? I hope it's not general knowledge. <laughs> with you, I wouldn't even dare. Now, we often credit people with being life-changing or events in our life being life-changing. But I'd like to talk to you about the places that have proved to be life-changing for you. For example, the bar at St George's, which went on to completely remap the course you took in life. So can we walk through some of your most seminal venues in life? Wow, what a great question. Um, I, I think the one that changed my life more than anything else is the Comedy Store in London. Really? The, it's, it's the most legendary comedy club in the world, along with the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, on which it was based. Uh, and in December 1998, I was on call for obstetrics and gynaecology uh, at Newham General Hospital because I was being a junior doctor and a part-time comedian at the same time. Uh, And that day, Don Ward, who owns the comedy store, uh, found that he had a spot missing for the following week to do the five-minute open spot, the unpaid spot where you try and make a name. And he went through his list of people he could ring up and he rang my house number up. He rang my house, but I was on call at Newham General. And he spoke to my housemate, Dave, and said, how can I get hold of Paul Sinha? And Dave said, you have to ring Newham General and ask them to bleep Dr. Sinha. And he did. He rang up Newham General Hospital and asked them to bleep me. <laughs> and so I, I was examining either a baby or, 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 or a patient on the ward when I got a, got a message from the, the, the ward sister station saying that uh, Don Ward from the comedy store is on the phone. And I got the shock of my life and I went over and he brought me for that spot the following week. Uh, and as sometimes can happen when you, you're only doing five minutes of comedy, absolutely nailed it. Absolutely nailed the five-minute spot. It's the first time I'd ever been there. I'd heard all about it, but I'd never actually visited the comedy store until no. my first ever gig there. Uh, and the same night, uh, an agent who saw me from the back of the room swooped in and said, I really like what you're doing there. Um, I'd like to represent you. And so I walked into the comedy store that Thursday night, a totally unknown, and at, at that stage, I think my total career earnings were about £75 <laughs> total in comedy, and I walked out a man with an agent. Wow. So, and, and I got the gig by accident, because I was just on a list of random phone numbers of people that he had, that Don Ward had. So, the, and the comedy store, I mean, recently I did a solo show at the comedy store. Not, not many people get to do a solo show at the comedy store. You have to hire the venue yourself and do all the organisation yourself. And it's more it's famous for like shows with five to eight comedians on. And to come back, 20, uh, well, what were we talking about? 24 years later, 25 years later, after that, that break, and come back and do a solo show just filled with such massive pride. And it's really where I learnt over the years through their support. I learnt the, the trade of being a good comedian more than probably any other club. It's the comedy store. Wow. But I, got, but I got my first break in such a fortuitous circumstance. Isn't that just? Yeah. Um, and the George's Bar is the other one. But for, for a number of reasons, really. So I joined medical school as an 18-year-old. And at that stage in my life, I'd never been drunk. I was a, I was a classic nerdish, uh, quiet, uh, lacking in confidence, uh, closet gay virgin. And that's how I arrived at medical school. 
And by the time I left medical school, six and a half years later, I was a problem drinking, problem gambling, uh, quiz machine emptying, heavy drinking, um, totally different human being with confidence and life skills and friends. And the whole environment at St. George's Hospital Medical School allowed me to not just to come out as a gay man, but to come out in so many other ways in terms of developing a personality and confidence and and many of my happiest years, many of my happiest moments rather, were spent in that, in that environment. And oddly enough, because you asked this, rather like the comedy store, I revisited it again because I recently did a, 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 a talk at the medical school. Well, there's a stage there that you named, named after you now, isn't there? The Paul Sinner stage. Yes, and it, there is a stage there. And you don't think, because I was statistically one of the worst medical students that place had ever seen. <laughs> You don't think that one day they're going to name something after you uh, because because you became a success as a comedian. So it's quite, it's quite nice that they don't judge people necessarily by their academic record, but by the other things they've achieved as well. <laughs> but that's what a, what a remarkable transformation you underwent in so many ways under the roof at St George's. You know, like you said, the, the boy that arrived and the man that left were really quite remarkably different. Yeah, not necessarily happier, but different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did a um, lot. You discovered a lot. You and the, you you tend to go at stuff very hard, don't you? So I imagine, like, when you gambled, you really gambled. I would imagine when you drink, you really drink. Um, have you been talking to my best friends, Kate? Because you seem to be very, you seem to be knowledgeable about my life in a way that I don't find typical of of, of an interview. You seem to know it all. Yes, I, I'm somebody that went at life very hard. And I think that was, if I'm being serious for a second, a sort of reflection of how things that teenagers end up doing as adults because they never had any responsibility as a teenager and they're always a bit pampered. Uh, and so I think if I'd, done, if I'd got myself a Saturday job as a teenager, learnt to be uh, thrifty with my own money that I'd worked hard to earn, uh, had more responsibilities, knew a little bit more about life, maybe being drunk at 17 rather than waiting till 18, that, that sort of thing. But I had a bit more preparation in real life before I went to medical school. I think sometimes the, the, the freedom and liberty of being a student can be totally overwhelming if you haven't enjoyed any aspect of that previously. Yeah. And I think that's quite a common thing that, that, that a lot of students go through is that they react by going a bit wild. Well, you're like a hungry man at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, the quizzing came along um, and that kind of started to feed into the way that you approached everything, including your comedy. Um, and never more so than really when you made your debut at Edinburgh. Was it Would Edinburgh be a place that has a special kind of significance in terms of venues? I know you've probably played multiple venues there, but... The fringe itself. I, I, I have played multiple venues, uh, and last year was my favourite venue. It's the basement of the Newtown Theatre in George Street, and um, because I was bringing music, and uh, my favourite band is the Pet Shop Boys. The fact that this place had low ceilings and seemed like the perfect place to watch the Pet Shop Boys sort of ener- sort of energised me. It was a really I can't recommend the venue highly enough. It's air conditioned. It's not steam steamily hot. Great acoustics, low ceiling. And I've chosen to forego this year my perfect room to do something bigger. Because that had 200 seats and this year I'm going for 400 seats. Because I think if you don't get a chance to dream, 
when 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 will you? I th- I'm going for a 400 seater purely because I'd like to go for a big room one year in my life, and this seems to be the right year to go about it. But the dream room was very much last year. Um, the stand comedy club, who uh, have been operating a stand up comedy in Edinburgh for donkey's years now, have always treated me really, really well. Uh, fair financial deals, great support, and they're, they're, they're not a place as such. Well, there is a stand comedy club, but they're more than that. They're an institution, they're an organisation, they're an ethos of treating acts fairly. Uh, and the, the, I, I couldn't be where I am now without their, their help and support over the years. So that's a very, very special place. Very well. And, and Edinburgh is a magnificent city. But I'll be honest with you, it's just as magnificent outside of the festival. In, many, in one way, it's more so because you can get tables at restaurants. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, the Edinburgh of, of the other 11 months of the year seems like an almost completely different city. Mm. And it's ju- as far as I'm aware, it's just as enjoyable. Yeah. What about the place that you chose to propose to Oliver? Did that have great meaning and significance? Well, again, this is a slightly weird story in that I got dumped in 2015 uh, by boyfriend number one. And that autumn, I spent a night drinking with my cousin in Rome. And we randomly wrote, Rome, pardon the pun, that was undeliberate. Um, we randomly walked the streets of Rome. We, we suddenly found ourselves on a bridge over the River Tiber. And I looked at the view I thought, my God, this would be a nice place to propose to someone one day. Um, and I never actually, you know, I'd just been dumped. I, the idea that that one person could ever be me doing the proposal hadn't even occurred to me. I just thought the view was lovely. Isn't this romantic? la di da di da I ended up on that bridge four years later proposing to Oliver. And it wasn't even deliberate. I wanted to propose to him at the uh, Piazza Navona, where the Fountain of the Four Rivers is. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to propose to him there. But there were armed police everywhere. Cause it, was just after, it was just after Christmas. And European capital cities are very much on high terror alert in, during the Christmas period. So there were armed police everywhere. And I thought, this is not a romantic <laughs> environment. And so I just said, Oliver, let's go for a walk. And we just walked and walked and walked. And I was looking around, looking for the perfect place. So I decided that it had to be somewhere around it. And then to my astonishment, I found myself on the exact bridge. It was a complete, it was a complete accident. Oh, wow. I found myself on the exact bridge um, that I stood on with my cousin uh, four years previously. So it was an extraordinary coincidence, really. Wow. And there it was. And, and obviously, as we know, he went on to say yes. Congratulations. <laughs> he did. Within a second, when you say he went on to say yes, it sounds like he, he hesitated. He didn't hesitate. He was, <laughs> it was like a that that was fast finger round. <laughs> yep, in done. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been a nice touch. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Are you ready for your next question? Yeah. For question number two, I wanted to revisit one of my favourite tweets that I found on your feed. You and Oliver started dating back in 2016 and in 2020 you posted about how your father found out about your relationship. Tweeting a picture of Oliver at the Till in Sainsbury's with your dad queuing behind him, you wrote, 2016, two months into dating, we go to Sainsbury's. Me, be prepared We might bump into my dad and he doesn't know about you. Then, and there we have it, the two of them almost shoulder to shoulder (laughs) and you mortified. I mean, how did it play out? And also, when else in life have you lost control of the narrative and had big news taken out of your hands? Um, How did it play out? He was a little bit surprised. um, This would have been about... Well, I mean, more than a year after I'd been dumped, but I, you know, they they were so upset that I'd lost the happiness of a long-term relationship the previous year that I didn't want to get their hopes up high during the early part of the relationship. I wanted to see how how it went, and that's the only reason I hadn't told them. So I didn't want them to jump up and down with joy and then find out that the, the, the relationship hadn't gone anywhere. So I wanted so I wanted to be cemented in the relationship before uh, I told my dad. Now I live, I live about a mile and a half from that particular Sainsbury's. My dad lives about a mile and a half from that particular Sainsbury's in a different direction. And I knew that they were shopping there regularly at the time because we keep in touch regularly. But the statistical (laughs) chance of bumping into him was so low that I'd kind of said to Oliver, almost as a joke, by the way, there's a possibility we might bump into my dad. The idea that he would end up in the same queue without realising that he was in the same queue I was at the till and I, look, I looked up and I was like, oh my, what? I was so totally confused. And I went, hello, dad. And, I, uh, and he was completely confused as to what I was doing there because because uh, he thinks I don't even ever go to the supermarket, that I only eat takeaways. So he was a bit surprised. He was a bit surprised to see me there. And it was a genuinely beautiful moment um, of, of introducing a new boyfriend to my dad and him being very happy. But I was absolutely curious as to why I hadn't told him anything. Yeah, that's far. quite a gap, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, that is quite a gap. But uh, one of the biggest coincidence that, coincidental things that happened in my life. But as in terms of losing the narrative, all the time you lose the narrative, really. Life is, life is complex and people gossip and 
I suspect that what you're alluding to is how I came no, out. No, no, not mom. at all. Just like when uh, else you've had maybe big news that you know you you like the proposal, you planned it one way, it ended up playing out another. Sometimes as well, we need the narrative being to be taken out of our control because otherwise we don't do anything with it. Allah, Allah, well, your relationship true. with Oliver, with you, you're not, not telling your dad. Well, th- this one's less happy. Um, I came out to my mum because somebody at a house party at our house rang my mum from our house phone and said, your son's gay, and put the phone down. That is how she found out that I was gay. I could laugh about it now. Oh, my God, that's not funny. How old were you? Uh, 24. And they'd phoned your mum. So there was some sort of, like, you know, boozy prank in their mind. Boozy prank is the exact definition of what it was, yes. Was it an act of malice, Uh, do you think, um, or just somebody... It, it it didn't land well the news and I I I, um, I laugh about it now and obviously with comedy you, you write about the darkness yeah, as, well, as well as the light and so I've written material about it now and got laughs out of it but it was a pretty stressful time to be alive to be honest with you that there and because you have you you have your own ideas of how it may happen and as you said there was an element of well thank God somebody said it. But it was a bit early. My, I came out to my dad in 2005 and he was very pragmatic and positive and supportive about it. But that, that 11 years is a lot of years. And if I come out to him in 1994, I don't know whether he'd have been yeah. the same. We'll, we'll yeah. never know. We'll never know. And there's an element of maybe I was right to leave it till 2005 in terms of the progress in society and the, and the, and the different way that people look at hope, sexuality... Uh, maybe he needed to wait. My mum never got that option. So she, she found was, out but never told your dad? Yes. Wow, so that puts another layer of secrecy in the family that hadn't been there. Yes, very that's much a so. Lot. Yeah. That's a lot, isn't it? it? It is a lot. And it all ended happily. But, uh, you know, eventually me and Oliver got married in 2019. They were there, they were supportive, they were lovely, they enjoyed the whole occasion. Everybody is at peace, but to get to that peace, there's a lot of rocky roads, rocky roads on the way, uh, and it, it wasn't fun. <laughs> no, I can imagine that that was not fun and deeply, I mean, deeply unkind. Um, even if it wasn't done yeah. with intent, I, I, I still, I still don't know who it was because there are so many different candidates. Because that's the nature of my friendships. My friends, we were all bad drunks. And so you were there, and you were drunk as well. And then you know that that's happened, and then what? That must have been the quickest sobering up of your life, Paul. Uh, well, it was the next morning that it, it was the next morning that my mum rang me up and told me about it. So I didn't know it happened oh, there God. and then. I found I found out the next day, um, and so that that was that was quite something. Yeah, sometimes you you quite spectacularly lose the narrative of your life because that's very much the way that humans yeah. interact. No one can keep it. No one can keep it. Secret. But also the narrative. Of, of where you were going to go in life changed and was taken not out of your control but you re-nav- re-navigated when you went to medical school and started to discover comedy and something that you hadn't even considered being anything other than a doctor had you because that was kind of the family profession I look back I look back upon that time a lot and think to myself I was just one of these people and there's a lot of us around who was perfectly smart but has no idea what he wants to do with it. So medicine became the convenient choice because there was a job at the end of it. 
because my dad was a doctor, my granddad was a doctor, my mum was a trained nurse and then a midwife. I come from a very medical family. Uh, my dad is part of a generation of West Bengalis who became doctors in India and arrived in the United Kingdom in the 50s, 60s and 70s, not just to make money and work in medicine, but to set up home and produce mini versions of themselves. And so it was kind of assumed, because I was a clever kid, that I would become a doctor. But nobody really spotted that it wasn't my area of expertise. I was actually more into language and, and arts. And what confused the issue was that I was very, very good at maths indeed. And if you're very good at maths, everyone will assume you're very good at uh, science. Mm. And for me, that wasn't the case. I was quite average at science. So when I got to medical school, I was always struggling. A lot of people labelled me as lazy, but I would say that you would be lazy if you were struggling with the subject matter as, as, as much as I would, then the default setting might be to become lazy as a result because it was frazzling your brain. Add, add to that the aforementioned liberation and enjoying London and enjoying life. And I never quite got the hang of medical school and everything, the responsibility mm. that entailed. Because the exact, these exams are really, really difficult. Unless you intrinsically love the subject with passion, it's really tough. Really, you know, imagine doing a degree course in something you yeah. didn't love, uh, uh, and it turns out to be one of the most difficult and degree also, courses. It's not like you know there. there aren't consequences to getting it wrong when you start practicing on the job because there are. There's well, ex <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. And I, I, I find it incredible looking back on my lifestyle now to know that I did those jobs. I was when I, in my first house job at St Helier's Hospital. I was the only urologist on the hospital on a Saturday or, or, or on a Saturday or a Sunday. Any urological emergencies went to me, a barely qualified new doctor. Uh, I've, I've, put, I've put a pacemaker into a woman's heart at, at four in the morning under guidance. I've, I've looked after the I've been the ward doctor in the special care baby unit at Newham General Hospital for three months. Um, I've done big jobs, and it's and it just. Uh, it shocks me now to think that that was my life because it seems such a dist it seems now such a distant yeah. past, and my life is now standing on stage present host, uh, in front of drunk people in, in Middlesbrough on a Saturday night or, or wherever, or today doing an awards pre presentation in Ascot. Um, the, the life seems so different now, but I it's a miracle. It's a miracle that I managed to get out of medicine and do find myself in a job that I genuinely really loved. Because I don't know what it's like now when people start comedy. When I started comedy in 1995, nobody had, very few comedians had ambition. They, were do, they felt like they were doing it as a sort of, like you might bungee jump or parachute jump or uh, just a life experience to tick off, tick off the box. And, and in the early years, I remember a few comedians that I gigged with who absolutely made it and had the Jeannie Yashere, Mickey Flanagan, Lee Mack, uh, Johnny Vegas. I remember some comedians who were uh, newer acts when I started, who then became massive. But most of the people I was gigging with my first two or three years never made it because it wasn't. It's not seen as it is now necessarily as a springboard mm. to fame and fortune. It's become a big money business as well now. When you look at the fact that has, yeah. you know Peter Kay can do twenty nights at the O2 with none of the overheads and costs that would be incurred by, say, a band, right? It's just a man, a mic. But yeah. The, the profits are huge. And 
that the business has changed. It's a bit like football. It's become, you know, especially in the upper echelons of it. I guess it's a very different business to the one that you joined, but one that I'm sure you still find really fascinating. I, I, I do a lot of solo shows and I love doing solo shows, but I still think there's something really pure about banging out 20 to 25 minutes in, in front of a contained audience who haven't just come out to see you. I think you can believe your own hype when people come to see you because there's an inherent love in the room for you already. But when you're one of the one of various acts on the bill, it's it's a bit purer because you're being you're not being judged as the cinnamon or the guy off the telly. You're being judged for the jokes that you bring, the the, the jokes that you bring to the occasion. And um, I've had a run of club gigs in the last week or so that have been really really viscerally thrilling for me because because they're not been easy. So for you, you still love being part of an ensemble bill, yeah, where absolutely. people have come to see. Funny people, but not necessarily you. Yeah, that's that's my favourite sort of thing, to be honest with you. Are you ready for your third and final question? Yeah. I found a quote from you that I'd love to unpick if, if we can. You've said, The mistakes you make in your life lead on to great things because they lead to twists of fates that change your lives in different ways. And you're absolutely right. So how has that been the case for you over the years? And which mistakes played out well for you in the end, the curses that ultimately became some of life's blessings? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, and really, these can be answered by my wedding as much as anything else. The fact that I got married for a start is because um, I had a, a disastrous end to a first relationship. Um, where fundamentally my first boyfriend decided that he was not of the sexuality that he thought he was. Uh, so he thought he was straight. Yeah. Uh, and so if that hadn't happened... That's, um, that's, that's a lot, isn't it, Paul, to get your head that, around? That, that, is, that is a lot to get your head around. Mm. If that hadn't happened, I'd have never got married. I don't think I'd ever ever got married. But it all really starts with choosing medicine as a 15-year-old uh, and then going to medical school uh, and struggling and making friends with fellow strugglers. So I just—I mean, I had three best men at my wedding. First of all, a guy called Duncan Johnson, who I would not have been friends with if I hadn't failed my first year exams and had to resit them. And then as a result of dropping a year, I became very good friends with, with, this, with this guy, Duncan. Great. The, so so he, yeah, so that, that curse became a great blessing. First of my best men. The second one best man is a guy called Dave Dewar. Dave Dewar I knew because he was a junior doctor with me in Kings Lynn. And I'd never have even been to Kings Lynn if I hadn't failed my medical finals and therefore not got the job that I was meant to get, uh, which was to do my, uh, one of my house jobs in Plymouth. I, never, I was meant to be a house officer in Plymouth. And I think that if I'd went to Plymouth, because a lot of doctors fall in love with their first uh, provincial Provincial post. Yeah. I'd probably be a, G, a GP somewhere in Devon. That's that's what that was what I imagine my alternative sliding doors life to be, is a GP somewhere in Devon. So, um, and my third my third um, best man is more conventional. His name's Manish, but his surname is Sinha, and he's been, he's unrelated to me. Wow. But he was but he was one another one of my best school, best mates in medical school. And the reason we met uh, we know each other is because he failed his. Um, a levels first time round, and therefore dropped a year uh, and became in in my year at medical school. 
So my three my, my three best friendships in terms of best men of the wedding were through mistakes that are made in life. And this, if you try and create narratives from your mistakes, yeah. th- then they don't become mistakes. They just no. become things that happen. The one thing that I would say that I would put down as no good came from that, and you mentioned it previously, was the gambling addiction. I can't think of anything positive that came from the gambling addiction. And when people say, what would you say to your 16-year-old self? What I would say is never, ever, ever walk into a betting shop in your life. Because I don't. That's the, that's the one avenue of error where I don't think any positivity came out of it at all. Just a, just a lot of financial losses. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, it's not that, that every bad event has a sliding door silver lining. It's just that most, most of them do. But playing devil's advocate, as you addressed your issues with gambling, you gave more time and attention to quizzing and started to find similar highs from that as an experience. Is, is, would that be a fair assessment? Would, would I it, think so. I was it a increase board... your appetite for, for quizzing rather than gambling? I think I think about gambling a lot because at its worst, I was very bad indeed. And now I can walk past a betting shop and not even have the slightest inclination to walk in. And I think fundamentally, I'm not bored anymore. And the reason I'm not bored is we have something called a smartphone. We have a device that's in our hands. And in our hands is a device that allows us to connect with the entire world, whether it's on social media, whether it's on Wikipedia, whether it's emailing people, whether it's finding out about who built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, whether it's just sticking on your Spotify and exploring the Beatles' third album. The whole world is in your hands. And when I, I was such a curious kid when it came to information and exploring the world, when my parents went shopping, they'd just drop me off at the bookshop and, pick, and, and then come back four hours later, going, oh, you're still here? And I'd be head, head, my head in a, a book about cricket. If someone had told me, the younger version of myself, that one day you'd have a device in your hand that, you, that would just allow you to access the entire world, that's why I don't gamble. I don't need to gamble to get my highs. I get my highs from engaging with the world, either online or in, in reality. And that boredom that led me to the betting shops in the first place just doesn't exist. There's no excuse to be bored. Uh, this is something I'm ev- absolutely evangelical about, is that everything that you might be interested in or might help you connect can be found online. If your thing is that you would like to build model railways to carry miniature teddy bears. You'll find a group called Model Railways and Miniature Teddy Bears. Um, it's, it's all it's, there. In it's a way that it there. wasn't when we were teenagers. Not at all, no. I mean, you talked about getting paged there to get your gig at the comedy club. That's because that's how people contacted you back then. <laughs> exactly. had, I mean, it wasn't just doctors that had pages. It was, no. you know, that was, that was your business comms, really, wasn't it? If you're out of the office, I'll just page me and I'll find a phone box. Well, I, I think... A lot of people say, oh, so kids these days are always on their phone. Well, if you were a kid back then and you had a phone, you'd always be on your phone. It's not necessarily a bad thing to always be on your phone. Yes, we should all look around, smell the flowers, look at the buildings, etc., etc. We should all you know, pay more attention to the world around us. But also, you're, it's a magic device that allows you to pay attention to not just the world around us, but the world beyond where we, we live as well. And I think that's one of the things that's made quizzing so much harder, is we now need to know everything. In the 1980s, it was all in a book or on telly, what you needed to know. If, if someone could pick the special subject of television on a quiz show, 
And they'll be asked questions about, you need to be a question on Coronation Street, EastEnders, Dallas, Dynasty, game shows, quiz shows, all creatures. You could list about 25 things that you'd definitely get written questions about. If someone picks telly now, oh, you, don't, you, you don't know if it's, it's, it's the second series of White Lotus, if it's, if, if, or, or it's whether it's something like Hollyoaks. You have no idea what you're going to get asked questions on. I once... I once, but look, I want yesterday or the day before yesterday. I buzzed in on a question that started four hundred and fifty-six, and I buzzed in and said Squid Game, uh, and 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 got it correct because I knew how many contestants there are at the beginning. I've never watched an episode. I've never watched an episode of Squid Game, but I knew this was the magic number of contestants they had on Squid Game. So the sheer variety of what you need to know now is just enormous, and that's a really really good thing. The world is so much broader and. So much more exciting than it was. How do you hold all of that information? How do you, that, that's it. How do you hold all of that information? Because I, I, you know, when I'm studying, like if I'm reading up on an interview, I will know as much as I possibly can about you before we sit down. Um, and then once the interview's done, I have to free that ram up in my head for the next person, you know? But you, you seemingly have this like enormous capacity for just storing facts. Okay, so um, the answer is you don't. You just hope for the best. Really? Uh, it's, uh, it's a famous quizzer called Olaf Bjortont, who's currently one of the eggheads. He came up with the lottery ticket theory of knowledge, which is that facts are lottery tickets. The more you buy, the more chance you've got of winning. You'll still lose nearly all the, you'll still lose nearly all the time. Uh, but the more tickets you buy, you, you're, you're trying to score more points than the next person. You're not looking for perfection. At the World Quizzing Championships in June, the winner scored 175, I think, out of 240. So there were 65 questions that the World Quizzing Champion got wrong. Okay, and that's he a comforting was, stat. And, yeah. he was, and he was playing out of his skin. So the answer is don't worry about it. Don't worry about how you... Unless you, unless you really, really, really want to devote yourself obsessively to not having a life. Uh, and there's... And, <laughs> Not and, really, not at this stage, Paul, no. Well, well exactly. And there was, there was about two years where I was that obsessive. And those two years coincided with me winning the British Quiz Championships in 2019. But one thing I've decided after that is I've achieved what I need to achieve. I need to focus on quality of life. And so for me, quality of life now is learning facts because you want to know them. And, yeah. then, hope, and then hoping that they come up. But I, I, I'm not nearly as... I mean, this, this all comes down to Parkinson's and readjusting the priorities in your life. As long as I'm good enough to be a chaser, as long as I'm good enough to be a really good chaser and do really well on Beat the Chasers, then the rest of it is up to me uh, as to how much I want to engage in learning facts. And I feel that I don't have necessarily the same obsessive passion that took me to the British Quiz title in 2019 as I do now because the young... There are younger kids with fresher, juicier, more absorbent brains that are just killing it in quiz at the moment. And the, if you look at the top 30 quizzes in the world now, compare it to the top 30 quizzes in the world five or six years ago, they are so much younger. Uh, number one, because they've got absorbent brains. Number two, they've got hunger. And number three, the younger quizzes grew up with the internet. They, yeah. grew, up, they, grew, up, they grew up with access to the world. And the, and the best time to learn facts is when you're younger because they're the ones that stick. Uh, and so we've got a brilliant generation of younger quizzes coming through now. And you go, yeah, but I've got a life. And, <laughs> uh, well, and also, yeah, I mean, 
I know that you, you've spoken before about how um, your perspective changed after your diagnosis with Parkinson's back in 2019, which makes complete sense. You know, suddenly um, time is, is a luxury, isn't it? You know, you want to make the most of the time that you have while your health is good. Uh, absolutely. And part of that is very much quizzing because I love quizzing and I love taking part and I'm still very competitive at it but I'm not quite as good as I once was because the world has got better. Um, and I don't mind. I don't, because it's about playing to the premise of what you want your life to be. And as long as you're enjoying the process of quizzing and finding new facts and finding out new information, as long as it makes you happy, that's far more important than whether you should have scored two more points in a written quiz that you did a couple of weeks ago than you did or that. But I'll leave that to the young, that, that level of, uh, emotional analysis to the younger quizzes now they, they can have it uh, because I, I've got other things to be getting on with in my life where, where are the pleasure pockets in life now the, the places that you hadn't expected to find great joy I think um, a lot of this is down to the philosophy of aesthetics my husband likes brutalist architecture I love renaissance churches we see we we see things in different ways, and, and yeah. it makes me realise you can see beauty in in a lot of things. So I I like um, architecture and art a lot, as does my husband. But we both have very different different tastes. Uh, so I, I get a lot of pleasure out of going to art galleries, but not just old fashioned ones, but things like the Tate Modern. Uh, which is not as much my thing, but I enjoy seeing new ideas and, 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 and new ideas expressed. Um, I get great joy in watching Netflix comedies that I would never have picked up. Netflix really? comedies that I would never picked because they're American. I would never, they would never made it to, to uh, our screens necessarily without the streaming telly. Um, I get a lot of joy out of Spotify, not necessarily not necessarily new music, because I think that takes a bit of time to digest into your head, but exploring the music that makes, you know, I'm, I'm constantly reading Facebook threads where people go, name your favourite song or name your favourite band. And if I've never heard of them, I go and explore, I go and explore their music and suddenly the next thing I know, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm waxing lyrical about Fontaine's DC yeah, whereas old me would never have heard of Fontaine's DC. Yeah. I get, a, yeah, I get a pleasure out of various things. I still very much like drinking and meeting strangers after gigs. I like going to nice bars in towns and cities across the country and hanging out with people that just see me do comedy and finding out about their lives uh, and making connections. Um, I, Which is I, something you've always done, isn't it? You, you yeah. like to have a drink with your audience after. Yes, yeah. And I think that's, that's part of building up a relationship. It's quite unusual, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? I, I spent much of my late 20s and early 30s not getting into bars and clubs because I've become the sort of person that bar people took one look at and go, he doesn't look quite glamorous enough to come into our venue. <laughs> so I, I quite like the fact that it's been subverted now and that I'm seen as a minor celebrity and I can get into bars and clubs. Um, it's, it's the first, it's, ever since I've been on the chase it's the first time I've been to live, live my dreams of being somebody that's just let into places because as a, as a gay man you know you're dead at 25 uh, <laughs> is that right? Uh, unless, you, unless you're on the telly your life is finished at 25 according to the gay scene 
It's it's wow. it's it's very ageist scene. So I, I remember in the it's like dog years in reverse. Yeah, I was, I was in my late 20s when I first started noticing that I was not getting into bars that I used to be able to waltz into quite quite easily. And so I'm just, I, I enjoy that side of, you know, the seedy underbelly, I suppose, if you like, of, of city life. I, li- I like going to towns. I was in Wakefield earlier this year, and to my amazement, because Wakefield is not an especially attractive town city, uh, to town, town centre, there were some really great bars. There's this whole street of really nice bars, and I just thought, this is what this this is what I like. This you know, this is what makes me happy. And you're just doing more of what makes you happy now. Yes, uh, but, but, but that's really really important, regardless of whether you've got Parkinson's or not. Mm. And we don't, you know, a lot of, a lot of us had plans going into 2020 that the pandemic just uh, took care of. And we have no idea what future disasters, whether it's viral or military, may befall society as a whole in the next few years. I think it's important to speed up access to your bucket list of dreams mm. and make sure that you achieve them before other things get in your way. I'm, I'm lucky enough to not have a bucket list. I don't consider there's anything on my list that of things I'd like to do that I'm desperate to do or that I'll push everything out of the way in order to achieve it. Uh, because I feel that the main things now have been ticked off and I can just get on with enjoying life in a sort of slightly smug, self-satisfied way. Good for you. I look forward to hearing that play out at Edinburgh. You're up there um, for how many weeks? The whole run. Uh, the whole run. The ho- oh. August the 2nd to sometime three and a half weeks later. Uh, I, I Only once have I ever gone up to the Edinburgh and done a small run and I didn't enjoy it at all. Because you don't feel that you, I don't. I, I like to feel part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's something intensely masochistic about wanting to do the whole run, knowing that you're going to finish exhausted and ready to Broke. drop. But that's ex- <laughs> but that's exactly how I'd like to feel at the end of the festival. Is that I've done the whole run because I want to, you know, I want to prove to the world that it, it can be done, even when you're fighting a disease, that you can still be the, the comedian that you want to be. And it's really, really important to me that I prove that. How um how has your work had to change, Paul? Do you have to think differently, rehearse more? You, you tell me. Um, it's changed in unexpected ways. I mean, I choose not to drive, which means that my husband has become my personal assistant. Uh, as as a result, that's one, and I have to take I have to take gigs on bearing bearing that in mind. Uh, secondly, there's a. There's more of a don't give a damn about the jokes. Uh, it's just like I'm, I'm here now for a few years. I don't, I don't know how many gigs I've got left to me. I'm just going to enjoy myself and not worry about what, in my head about whether this is the audience's thing or not. I'm quite carefree with my jokes. And the biggest change is that I started doing music about three years. There's a brilliant comedian and musician called Vicky Stone who uh, I was on a gig with about three or four years ago, just after I'd been diagnosed with Parkinson's, and she plays the keyboard. And I noticed how light her keyboard was. And I, I asked her what keyboard it is, and I bought the same make. And ever since then, I've been doing songs at, at in my comedy shows. And last year was the first real big test at the Edinburgh Festival because it was the first time that I was getting critics to see my songs. And they were broadly, they were broadly really supportive. And it was just such a... To, to, to create a new genre for yourself this late in your career was just really, really exciting. So there'll be songs at Edinburgh. 
And I know that I'm not a good singer, but I don't. I think fundamentally with musical comedy, you can make that not matter. Yeah. Because it's the, it's the words. It's, it's, I'm, Absolutely. I'm not, I think one review two years ago said he's no Tim Minchin, and I said with respect, I'm not trying to be Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin is the genius multimillionaire creator of Matilda the Musical. I'm not trying to be him. I'm, I'm the cinnamon, I'll have you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we all do our own thing our own way, right? Well, exactly. And you found, yeah. and you found that what's lovely is that you found the courage to try new things and not care, really, what people yeah. think. Yeah, I think, if I'm being completely cynical, the Parkinson's does give you a cushion. It gives you a cushion of audience uh, respect because they go... Yeah, we understand why you can't see. <laughs> what well, you mean, he's can... a bit rubbish, but he has got Parkinson's. Is, but, it, is yeah, it that? In, in terms of... Um, in terms of uh, your singing, by the way, in terms of, Yeah, in terms of singing. It, it does give you a little bit of cushion, but then you've got to use what you've got. Comedy's all about being, you know, the, being the, only, the comedian that only you can be. Uh, and I can't ignore the fact that I've got Parkinson's uh, and I can't not write jokes about it. That's not to say that that's not to say that that's what the show's about. It really isn't, but it's all informed by that. Not all, sorry, not informed, but the whole show is informed by the fact that I'm openly gay, British Asian, qualified doctor, competitive quizzer, Parkinson's disease, um, uh, and 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 more besides. Um, and you know, plenty and, uh, more besides. Plenty more besides, exactly. Oh, well, it's been really lovely talking to you, rather than trying to be not thrashed by you and I really hope that you enjoy Edinburgh and that every day those 400 people know how lucky they are uh, to hear you become the poor man's Tim Minchin (laughs) the poor man's Tim Minchin the poor man's David Furnish enjoy a happy marriage Poundland's David Furnish David Furnish (laughs) thank you very much Kate thank you If you are heading up to the Edinburgh Fringe, make sure you check out Paul's show. It's called Paulie Bengali. Tickets are available now wherever you get your tickets. And for more great chat from equally curious and funny minds, you can find episodes with Anne Hegarty and Sean Wallace from The Chase in our back catalogue, as well as fellow doctor-turned-comic Adam Kay, comedian Adam Hills, we've got Daisy May Cooper, Kerry Godleyman and Rob Brydon, to name but a few. I'll be back on Tuesday with another midweek visit to the White Wine Question Time cellar. Until then, thanks for listening. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.